So we're reading in 1 Samuel 16 from verse 1 to verse 13. Um, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, saying, I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse um, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a Haifa with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me uh, the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they come that he looked at Elihab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Adinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. He, now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from, from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Thanks, Gary. So I guess here we're, we're looking at uh, David's anointing. And I think what's um, going to stand out for us is what, God had seen in him and God's purpose for him. Now, Jonathan's given us a, a, a good background as to what David was occupied with, where his ambitions lay, um, his faithfulness towards God and his faithfulness towards his father. We see in this portion that we've started reading the rejection of Saul. Saul was a king that was chosen by the people. Saul was, um, I guess, the democratically elected um, king. But that's not what God wanted. God wanted something different. And, and tonight, hopefully, we can bring that out. We can talk about some of those reasons, um, talk about the purposes of God, talk about the heart of David. And talk about the preparation that was required for him to be in this position as useful before God. As well as that, I'm sure we're going to see types of the Lord Jesus in him, as John has already pointed out to us. But the chapter starts 
with the rejection of Saul and then an instruction to Samuel to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as king of Israel. In the beginning of this chapter, we find in verse two, uh, 1 at the end, For I have provided me a king among his sons. Saul was already king, but he was the king of the people. We can look in, in 1 Samuel chapter um, 8. We find there um, in verse 7, it says, 1 Samuel 8, verse 7. And Jehovah said to Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So Saul uh, was the result of that, that the people rejected God in this way. And Saul was, as we would say, um, fleshly, carnal, fleshly uh, king. So he was not directly chosen by God. It was just the will of the people. But here, when it comes to David, it's a different one, right? So we see that as well. When we look at the life of Saul, we see that Saul acted in uh, self-will, that he was disobedient. And at the end, this leads to the point that um, Saul, uh, or the kingdom was taken away from Saul and God rejected Saul. But now we find that God has provided for him a king. And this is precious, right? That he chose someone, as we already heard, one uh, we probably would never thought about, but he chose one uh, to be his king, his servant, a man after his heart, I think is the other expression we read somewhere. So, and this is, this is um, so precious that we see that God takes one person out and made him as both, right? On one hand, and a good example for us where we can learn from. And on the other hand, a foreshadow on that what was still to come on the Lord Jesus, and, uh, a type a type of the Lord Jesus. And uh, on many occasions, not in all, but on many occasions. And um, yeah, I think this is, this is uh, very precious when we see that he was chosen by God directly. And uh, he proved that, we heard about it, that he already had in a, his youth a heart for the Lord, and he proved that uh, even further on when he was king, but still rejected. You see the initiative coming from God's side. We've already remarked that with Saul, it was the people who called for a king, but um, here it's God who chooses the king, and he says to Samuel, in end of verse 3, uh, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. God chose the man, the young man, David. God chose him without any prompt from anybody else, without somebody suggesting him. God chose him. The initiative was completely from God. And we see a huge difference in, in the way that God operates to the way that man operates. 
We'll see what happens as soon as Samuel gets to Jesse's house. Samuel's own words. Ah, surely, surely this is the one. Where does he say that about? He looked on Eliab or Eliab and said, Surely Jehovah's anointed is before him. He must have been a strapping guy, a, a strong, handsome, tall. These were the things that were seen in Saul. He was head and shoulders above the rest. But God had chosen a man, and he said to Samuel, anoint to me who I will name to you. And that's, uh, that's something beautiful that we see. God doesn't just look at the way we appear before men. I'm sure Eliab would have been an, an excellent young man, but God has his purpose. God has uh, his choice. And we see really election as something that we um, as believers have all experienced. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, he has chosen you personally. He has um, he has chosen you. That's something to um, to really think about. You know, Jono told us that in Psalm 8, there David appreciated God's greatness as the creator. And then in Psalm 23, he appreciated how God, the creator, cared about him as, as a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And each one of us who knows the Lord, um, we should know that we've been chosen personally by the Lord, what a blessing that is, what a privilege that is, and what responsibility there is upon us who the Lord has chosen. There's a difference between the anointing of David and the anointing of Saul. In chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, verse 1, we read that, Then Samuel took the vial of oil and poured it upon his head, upon Saul's head. It was a vial. A vial is man-made. As we've heard, uh, Saul was the choice of man. And so God instructs Samuel to take a vial. But in this chapter here, in chapter 16, he gives the instruction to, to Samuel and says, fill your horn with oil. A horn is something that's taken from the sacrifice, something that's godly. And God tells Samuel, Fill your horn with oil. Put as much oil in it as possible. He's my choice. And then later in Psalm 23, David says, you have anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Yeah, I like that analogy because a, a vial or a flask is easily broken. It's man-made. Um, and that appointment of soul didn't, didn't last very long. And it wasn't constant. It wasn't stable in God's eyes. But the horn, like you said, Shady, comes from a sacrifice. And the horn... It, it resembles strength and stability, and that anointment and that lineage was was stable in God's eyes, and that would go on, and we would see the Lord Jesus, the Son of David, come one day, and one day we will see Him reign too, and that will be the completion of that lineage. And um, so it's stable and strong. Can we get a comment maybe on what the oil is a representative of, or what does it mean to be anointed? Maybe I'll add to the question and put a challenge out there. Um, oil, 
is always a picture in the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit. I think we can see this at the end of the section that we read, that when David was anointed in verse 13, the Spirit of Jehovah came upon him. But can anybody remember the chapter that proves to us that oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit? There's one particular chapter in the Old Testament that shows that. No, okay, it's Zechariah chapter 3. Sorry, chapter 4. Chapter 4. Zechariah sees a vision of two olive trees pouring oil into a lampstand. Verse 2. And verse uh, 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 and 2. Great. Yep. And then he wonders. He wonders, what is this all about? And God answers him and he tells him the answer. He gives him the answer in verse 6 that nothing happens by might or by power. It doesn't happen by Saul. It doesn't happen by Eliab, but it happens by my spirit. And so the pouring on of oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon David or of any one of the kings or the prophets or the priests. They were all anointed, and that was to show that none of those things could be done really with human strength, but only with the power of the Holy Spirit. I enjoyed the comment that you made, Shadi, um, about the vial compared to the horn. It's really interesting that um, at the time of Samuel's birth, his mum, Hannah, in 1 Samuel 2, she praised God when Samuel was born. And one of the things that she said in her song of praise was um, the second half of verse 10. It says, Jehovah will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That's like um, the greater part of Samuel's life before anyone ever thought of a king. Hannah is praising God concerning the king that would come. So Hannah knew something about God's purpose and we sometimes think that the king in Israel was just the idea of the people because the people rejected God. But it was really God's purpose. The fact that before God's purpose um, was revealed, the people acted in wickedness is one of those mysteries that we often find in Scripture. We often find that there's a point at which the wickedness of man and the purpose of God come together. Now, that was especially the case at the cross of Christ. Remember, the Lord Jesus was crucified because of man's wickedness. 
that he was crucified because of God's purpose. And when Mike mentioned that each one of us who are believers should know and be sure that we were chosen by God, we have to realize that there was a point in our lives where the terrible wickedness that we were in caused us to realize we needed to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus. And that same very point is the point at which God's purpose and God's sovereignty um, comes into effect in our lives. When our wickedness is at its worst, God's purpose is shown at its best. Man's wickedness wanted a king. God's purpose wanted to give them a king. But it wasn't a king like they wanted. They wanted the big, strong, handsome one. David wasn't, well, maybe he was handsome, actually. But God wanted the obedient and faithful and loving and caring and diligent one. That's the one he wanted, David. I'd just like to make a, a comment about the differences between David's heart and the heart of Eliab, who was, who was rejected. Um, so I think in the, in the next chapter, there's a few incidents that just really beautifully demonstrate some contrasts between, between these two. Um, it's, it's important not to think that, that God was looking forwards when he was thinking of David's heart. David was, even at his young age, someone who had already had experience with God. Um, he says in the, in the next chapter, in verse 37, he speaks to Saul when Saul tries to convince him not to go against Goliath. David said, Jehovah who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. Um, he had had experience with God. I, I really enjoyed your comments, Jonathan, earlier about um, when we're young, cultivating um, our relationship with, with the Lord. That was something David had put a lot of effort into. And one other thing is he, the, the very small things that he had around him, he valued greatly in the sight of God. Um, Eliab says to him in, in, that, in that same chapter I've read from, um, Eliab in verse 20, 28, um, he, he's angry with David that he wants to fight against Goliath. And he says to him, with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness, um, he doesn't value the the thing that 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 David valued immensely. That he he saw God's hand in delivering those few sheep to him were a great thing that uh, was worthy of God's interest in in delivering. So, it just reminded me of the the words of the Lord that He who is faithful in little is also faithful in in much. Yeah, um, normally believers working together. And being together leads to fruitfulness. But that's not to take away from the importance of spending time alone with God. And for David, shepherding the sheep all those years alone out in the field, that led to his usefulness to God. And that's where his character was truly cultivated. Like you're saying, Pete, he valued those lives of the sheep. It happened twice on two separate occasions. He put his own life in danger just for one sheep. And at that time, he would have been a teenager, a young man. And he 
could have very well gone back to his dad and said, dad, I'm sorry, I lost a sheep to a lion. And his dad wouldn't have blamed him. It was a lion. Um, but no, he put his life in danger. And that's because he valued the life of the sheep. And not only that, but he also had faith in his God. He depended on his God and he trusted that he would help him. And um, it, the, our degree of usefulness to the Lord depends on our faithfulness in the little things like he's saying. And this was cultivated when he was a shepherd in the field. And we see it later coming in handy, coming, um, it's useful to him um, before he even becomes a king. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, um, he's on the run already from Saul. He's not the king yet. It's not his job to, to be protecting the nation of Israel. He has no place as, as a soldier or as a, as a king to protect them. He doesn't need to. He's not obligated to. So he's on the run from Saul. He's just pretended to be mad. And then we see in verse 23 that David, uh, sorry, chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, uh, verse 1. We, uh, then they told David saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kyla and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Kyla. He wasn't king. He didn't need to do this. And yet when he heard about it, his heart burned. His heart yearned for, the, for these people and the trouble that they were going through. And it's good to see that his reaction, the first thing he did was inquire of the Lord. And we can see a comparison um, between David and his men in the very next verse. Uh, verse three, but David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kyla against the armies of the Philistines? And then David inquires of the Lord again to encourage them to show them that the Lord is on their side in, in verse four. And the Lord tells them, tells him again that he should go. And so it's those little things. He was faithful in the little things, just with the life of one sheep, twice. And God would use him later for the salvation of his people. When we look at David, we see him, he had courage, he was faithful, he was diligent, he had all good attitudes, right? And he trusted in the Lord, he was depending on him, all very nice and uh, useful attitudes. But was he longing to become a king? Certainly not, right? He wasn't longing for it. He just did that. No, he just did what God provided for him. And right? so he just was uh, looking to be faithful in the things that the Lord gave him. But then, without any um, exercise to become a great man, a big man in this world, God used him. And I think this is a very good attitude for us as well, to be humble, right? To stay in that, what we are, what we, what the Lord has given to us. And maybe then the Lord wants to use us for more, but we see how important the foundation is that we have here, right? A good relationship with the Lord, faithful, diligent, and maybe to have courage. So that's that's what we what we need to um, in order to um, yeah stand up for the Lord in this world, and this is all done. The basis of that is all done in our time of youth. And I look back in the time when I, I mean it's uh, already twenty years ago <laughs> when I was in the youth uh, that it's it's so important. To, to read your Bible daily, right? It's so important to 
listen to good or to to join meetings, to listen to good uh, ministries, or to be there where the word of God is um, is explained in a good way. This is very this is very important, and this is so. This has an influence on your whole life, right? This has an influence on your whole life. But David did not long for something big, right? Maybe when you're young, you, you're eager to learn and you want to, to want to, uh, maybe you're, you're, you want to, to be someone, right? It's, I understand that. It's, uh, some, some, something that you, you study and all this stuff. And yeah, that's good, right? But there is a point where we really have to decide um, what we, for whom we are in this world. Right? Are we there for the Lord, just doing the things to honor Him, or I'm there to pursue my own things? Right? Just this is now an application for us, right? And we we have to be careful because um, it can be easily uh, going in a direction that isn't really useful for the Lord when we forget the Lord's desire his will and just pursue our own will so um, let's encourage to do that what, what David did um, in this way and then the Lord can use us maybe for more if not he sees your faithfulness the Lord always rewards faithfulness he doesn't reward the big things right he rewards faithfulness and this is what we can count on every time. The things that David learned in his younger years were not only in the sheepfold, but we, we don't read much of his household, but we can connect some dots here and there and, and learn of the environment that David was in. Um, so we've spoken a little bit about the sheepfold, but in the house, um, he learned um, to be content in deprivation. Um, there must not have been a very rich family and their, their main source of income would have been their sheep, their flock. And so all of his younger years, um, he, was, he was learning to be content with little. Um, we, learnt, we spoke already of the sheepfold that he, he learned to survive in, in isolation, um, in being alone with God. Um, and he learned to accept neglect as well. He wasn't very prioritized or, or paid much attention to by his brothers and by his, um, by his dad even. Um, when Samuel, the prophet, came to them, his dad basically forgot about him. He left him out there in the field. He didn't call him um, to, to have the meal with Saul, but he left him out there in the field. And when he was asked about him, the only reason Jesse mentioned David's name is because Samuel said, is there anyone else? And then Jesse would refer to him as the youngest. Oh, yeah, there's, there's just one more, the youngest, a shepherd. Um, and he, so he also learned to accept neglect. And he learned to depend on God, and he learned humility as well. He was anointed very early and he spent so long in the palace with Saul, with the king, knowing that he would be the next king. But he learned to be humble. He learned to serve um, before he would lead the people. And all of these things would come into, uh, would help him later on. Um, he would be on the run. He would be alone. He wouldn't have, he, we read in the Psalms that sometimes he looks to the right and there is no one there with him. All of these things would come into play later. And God is setting him up. Uh, to be his vessel, to be um, his instrument among the people. Um, and it's, it's quite interesting to see in the life of David. I really like your, um, your thoughts before, Maggot, about um, David rescuing Keilah from the Philistines. 
um, just brought to my mind what he did for Nabal's um, sheep as well. His shepherds were out in the field, Nabal's shepherds, and David and his men, um, the men of Nabal could say, they were like a wall to us. Um, and nothing was nothing of ours was lost because of them. He really had um, this heart, this care for the people of God um, all through his life. We see that in the next chapter when he's there, um, this young man ready to face the Philistine champion um, just because he's defying the armies of the God of Israel. Um, he He really had a heart for the Lord and a heart for the Lord's people. And I think it's important to clarify that, you know, uh, David gets anointed in this chapter, but it's not like the Lord's saying, oh, well, David, you've been such a good boy all through your youth. Um, because of that, now I'm going to anoint you king. Um, and I, I think we've, we've sort of already covered this. We've emphasized it a bit. He experienced a relationship with the Lord well before this point. Him being anointed here isn't as a result of some good behavior that he had. Him being anointed here was God's sovereign election. But he was responsible and he acted responsibly with what God had put into his hand. And that's, that's something that we can all learn from. What's God given me now? What do I have in my responsibility right now? Where has God placed me right now? And what can I do with that? How can I be faithful to the Lord in that? Uh, how can I uh, live in a way that is what we've discussed, content, um, ready to be obedient, um, ready to serve? And it might be just a little bit, you know, those few sheep out in the wilderness that Eliab called them. David was more than happy to take care of those sheep. And that is, I think, something we can all learn from. What has the Lord given me now? What's under my responsibility now? And how can I use that for the Lord's glory and to be faithful to him? I think when we look at that, what Mike just said, we said before, um, we see that he was... Uh, beautiful for God, right? He was fair for God. And uh, we have several other um, men of faith, men of God, who are called beautiful in her appearance or that they were beautiful for God. It is Daniel. You see that for Daniel. And we see that for Moses. And we see that from Joseph. So they are all were beautiful in a certain sense for God. I think this is this is what what makes it really precious for him, right? It's not, of course, you know, when you're young, you want to look good and, and your outward appearance and so on. But it's it's not to make, you know, a whole day filling up um, your beauty. It, it, that's that's not what it means, right? It's it's just being beautiful for God in the heart, right? And um, I mean, some care more or less about their outward appearance, but um, it, it's I have nothing against <laughs> looking good, right? So that's that's not what I mean. Just mean to over um, 
overemphasizes. So that's um, maybe a little bit too strong. But God looks definitely in the heart. So we cannot blind him in this way, right? So that people, they look perfect from the outward, but their hearts are, are dirty, are right, full of sin. And that, that's the difference. But, but, but God looks on the heart, in the heart. And this is, this is so important for us. And um, I just want to emphasize that this is the main thing. Right, that we should keep the outward will getting fade, right? But the inward can be renewed every day, even you get older. So that's nothing that uh, that hinders you to, um, or that that should motivate you to to work on the inward beauty instead of the outward. Samuel here judged based on what he saw. And in Second Samuel 16, Ziba came to, to David and he told him a story. And based on that story, David made a judgment. So Samuel judged based on what he saw and David judged based on what he heard. But if we go to Isaiah chapter 11, we get the, the perfect example of Lord Jesus in verse 3. It says, and his delight will be in the fear of Jehovah, because he fears Jehovah, then he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor. I guess here we get that um, lovely picture of the Lord Jesus. David is anointed, and it says, verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. He was anointed not secretly, but in the midst of his brethren. He's the one who is, imagine what it would have felt like there for his brothers. He is the youngest one. He is the one that was out with the sheep and he's anointed right in their midst. He is the one to whom they're going to eventually bow the knee to. And so we get a picture of the Lord Jesus in this. Um, he's the one that's anointed with the oil of gladness above his companions. He's the one who is the chiefest amongst 10,000. He's the, you know, when the scripture speaks in the Old Testament of many who are the servants of Jehovah, for example, David is a servant of Jehovah. Moses is a servant of Jehovah. But when, when the scriptures say, behold my servant, my elect, we know who he's speaking about. It's not speaking about David or Moses or any one of the other servants of Jehovah, but it's speaking about the one, the standout. That's the Lord Jesus. And here he is anointed in the midst of his brethren. I just may add that the Lord Jesus is called in Psalm 45, Thou art fearer than the Son of Man. This is an ex expression here that we can add to that what Mike just said. I ask a question to maybe bring a little bit, some thoughts in it. We, we have here in, um, when we look in, in chapter 17, in, in chapter 17, it says in verse 12, 
that uh, David was the son of Aphrodite of Bethlehem Judah, who was Jesse, and he had eight sons. So, and David was the eight, right? So when we look to First Chronicle chapter 2, and um, verse 3rd, no, not 13, yes, 15, so 15. So it says there that um, um, verse 13, and Jesse begot Eliab and Arbinadab and so on, and 15, David the seventh. Oh, it's an interesting question. Was he the eighth or the seventh or both? I'm not sure if I have a good answer to that manual. Maybe one of them had died and one of the others. Um, but um, just, I just wanted to bring, um, bring things back to something really practical for all of us, picking up on something Mike said before about what we are now. Um, a couple of years ago, a brother who is older than me said to me, I'm looking forward to when I retire from work so that I can then start serving the Lord. And in my mind, I thought something, and in my heart, I felt something that I did not say to him. What you are now is what you're always going to be. You know, when we first meet David, he's looking after his father's sheep. And he tells Saul in the next chapter, I haven't lost one of them. He didn't lose one sheep. And what we've seen through the course of his life, whether it's with Nabal or whether it's with the people of Keilah or right up until the end of his life, I think it's Second Samuel 23 or 24, he speaks about the people of God and he says, these sheep, what have they done? He's still caring for the people of God like he was caring for the sheep when he was a boy. King Saul, by contrast, when we first meet King Saul, his father's asses are lost and he can't find them. And um, in the course of King Saul's life, his attitude towards the people is, it's all their fault. He blames the people. So what Saul was at the beginning, he also was at the end. What David was at the beginning, he also was at the end. Please, every young person, don't think, I'm going to start serving the Lord later after I finish school, after I finish uni, after I'm married, after I have kids, after... No. What you are now is what you're always going to be. Um, and now, I'm, I'm not saying, of course, that the Lord can't change us in our lives, but the experience that we have with him now is going to carry through with us for all of our lives. The commitments we make now are going to carry through. The habits we develop now are going to carry through. So make sure to make good commitments, develop good habits, serve the Lord now and be faithful in the very thing that he's given you to do. Don't think, well, Eliab's taller than me. 
Um, he can do a better job. He's more handsome than me. Um, he, he's more suitable. No, whatever the Lord has given you to do, do that. And if you do it and do it faithfully, he's going to use that for the rest of your life. Yeah, I think it's something challenging for each one of us to think of what the Lord's given us now and what we can do for him um, to, to be faithful to him and to bring him glory. So maybe we can close it there tonight and one of the brothers could commit us to the Lord in prayer as we close.